guys. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of expertly performed audiobooks. Audible has close to 200,000 titles that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. If you like reading fiction, Audible has a book for you. If you like reading science, Audible has a book for you too. If you like reading poetry, politics, or anything at all, Audible has the book for you. If you sign up at audibletrial.com slash words for granted, you'll get one month free. And not only that, but you'll also be supporting the show. Everybody wins. You can find a link to the free trial in the show notes for today's episode, and I hope you sign up today. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that last week I said that today's episode would be on the topic of culture, but as it turns out, the etymology of culture is pretty daunting, and my research isn't ready yet. I'll be done with the culture episode soon, so keep your eyes out for it in the coming weeks. Furthermore, I'd like to address my pronunciation of O de Colonia from last week's episode. My pronunciation of O was more like U, and it probably made my French-speaking listeners cringe. Rightfully so. Thanks to listener Eurasandra for pointing it out. That probably wasn't my first anglicized pronunciation on the show, and I promise you it won't be the last. If I ever pronounce something in a way that sounds like nails on a chalkboard to you, please send me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com and I will always set the record straight. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get on to today's show. The number two is a kind of magician. Actually, it's not the number two, but the word two, and more specifically, the spelling of the word two. Each and every time we read or write the word to, it plays a linguistic magic trick on us. If you're a native speaker of English, which is also to assume that you're a native writer and reader of English, then you've been under the spell of this magic trick since day one. If you have a pen and paper available, write down the word to and stare at it for a couple of seconds. That's T-W-O. If you can't write it down right now, just envision the word in your head in big, bold letters. Again, that's T-W-O. T-W-O. The magic trick is that there's a big, fat W in the middle of the word to that, according to the rules of modern English, should be pronounced. But it's not. Nor would anyone claim that it should be. The pronunciation of the word is indisputably to. But because the word to is such a common thing that we read and write all the time, the strangeness of that silent W just slips right under the radar. Not only that, but that unusual silent W just feels right. Of course, the letter W is sometimes silent in English. There's the W-R letter combination exhibited by words such as wrist, wrestle, and wrong. However, W is seldom a silent letter on its own. I can only think of two other words in the entire English language that have a silent standalone W. They are answer, A-N-S-W-E-R, and sword, S-W-O-R-D. 
If you guys can think of any other examples of a standalone silent W in English, shoot me an email and I'll share them on the next show. The thing that makes the silent W in two unique is that it has a certain characteristic that the silent W in answer and sword does not. That silent W in two is a baby maker. What I mean is that the TW letter combination at the beginning of the word two is the linguistic parent of a handful of derived words that all share the characteristic of two-ness. That in and of itself is not strange. What's strange is that in all of these derivatives, the W sound is pronounced. Consider the words twice, twelve, and twenty. Intuitively, we all know that these words are related to two. Based on the way they sound, it seems that their shared characteristic is an initial hard T sound, but if we take a look at the way these words are spelled, clearly their shared characteristic is an initial TW letter combination. This TW turns up in a handful of other words characterized by two-ness, but because that W is silent in to itself, our brains just aren't hardwired to make this connection automatically. You're probably wondering what some of these other words are, so before we go any further, let's have a look at a few. Two is the ultimate root word of twin. A twin is one half of two corresponding parts. It's also one of the root words of between which is the preposition designating the space separating two things. If we stretch our imaginations, it's not hard to see how two is also one of the roots of twilight. Twilight is the time of day at which the sun is below the horizon, which happens twice a day. An alternate theory claims that the twi in twilight refers to the idea of half-light, and of course it takes two halves to make a whole. Regardless of which etymology is correct, both theories demonstrate a connection between twilight and two-ness. Some words originally derived from two have changed meaning over time. Today, we use the word twig to mean any small branch, but originally, the word referred to a small branch that forked in two. Similarly, the verb twist originally meant to spin two pieces of yarn together, but today the word refers to any rotational motion. Related to the original sense of twist is the word twine, which is a strong thread made from two twisted strands. Of course, there are words that exhibit a TW sound or spelling that don't fall into this family tree of words characterized by two-ness. For instance, tweezer is an anglicization of the French word etui, spelled E-T-U-I. Tweet is a made-up word to emulate the sound of birds, and twerp is of unknown origins. And there are others. But here's the catch. These words were introduced into English fairly recently. On the contrary, the word two and its derivatives are all very old. As a general rule, if a word with the TW sound or spelling can be traced back to Old English, its original meaning is probably rooted in two-ness. Okay, let's investigate where this letter combination comes from and how the W sound was lost in the word to itself. 
The modern English word "to" is most immediately derived from the Old English word "toi." I say most immediately because the ultimate root of "to" can be traced much further back in time, and we'll be talking about that later on. In this most immediate Old English ancestor, that "w" in the middle of the word was pronounced. During the Middle English period, a variant pronunciation "tuo" came into prominence. So, depending on what region of England you were from, the words "tuo" and "tuo" were being used to mean the same thing. As we all know, modern English "to" ends with the letter "o," so ultimately "tuo," spelled "two," just like the modern English version of the word, won out as the standardized form. But Today we don't pronounce the word as "toe" but as "two." So, in addition to the diminishing pronunciation of that "w," the vowel sound at the end of the word changed from "o" to "u." These two shifts in pronunciation are actually closely related. From the mid 14th century to the early 17th century, a major change in the overall pronunciation of English was taking place. Historical linguists identify this gradual and mysterious event as the Great Vowel Shift. It primarily affected the pronunciation of English long vowels, which today we know as a e i o u. However, before the 1600s, those long vowels were pronounced differently, which is also to say that words containing those long vowels were pronounced differently. As a general rule, the Great Vowel Shift raised the pronunciation of long vowels upward in the mouth. What does that mean? In order to understand what I'm talking about, we need to take a look at vowels on a technical level. For those of you who are not particularly interested in phonetics, this is going to sound like a bunch of unintelligible jargon. But I promise that what we're about to discuss ultimately has to do with the evolution of two. So, about vowels, a vowel is a speech sound that is produced without obstructing or diverting the airflow from the lungs. This is the primary characteristic that distinguishes vowels from consonants. But in order to articulate different vowel sounds, we have to engage our tongue as well. Based on the position of the tongue in the production of a given vowel sound, that vowel can be categorized as a front vowel. A central vowel or a back vowel, as you might expect, a front vowel is produced by positioning the tongue toward the front of the mouth. A central vowel is produced by positioning the tongue toward the center of the mouth, and a back vowel is produced by positioning the tongue toward the back of the mouth. A, a, e, i, and e are front vowel sounds. A and a are central vowels, and u, u. O and ow are examples of back vowels. We can further classify vowels as high, mid, or low, depending on the position of the jaw in the production of a given vowel sound. E, i, u, and u are examples of high vowels. A, e, and o are examples of mid vowels, and a and u are examples of low vowels. With these classifications in mind, let's turn again to the word "tuo," 
the Middle English ancestor of the modern word to. The long O sound at the end of tuo is classified as a mid-back vowel, which is to say that it is a vowel sound produced with the tongue in the back of the mouth and the jaw at a midway point between the high and low positions. After the pronunciation changes brought about by the great vowel shift, the long O sound in Middle English systematically moved forward and upward in the mouth, thus mutating the O in tuo into an oo sound. The oo sound is a high front vowel, which is to say that it is a vowel produced with the tongue near the front of the mouth and the jaw in a high position. I should note here that the great vowel shift was not a conscious phenomenon. English speakers didn't just wake up one morning and all agree to start pronouncing everything differently. It happened gradually, and it wasn't even given a name and formally analyzed until the 20th century. Linguists aren't exactly sure why the great vowel shift happened, and they may never know why. But regardless of why it happened, the great vowel shift effectively brought us from tuo to tuo. But how did we get from tuo to tuo? The newly innovated oo sound made the preceding w sound difficult to pronounce. You can see this for yourself. Try saying tuo. It's not quite as effortless as tuo, is it? In order to preserve that w sound, you really need to stress its pronunciation. As a result, that W sound simply disappeared. This conforms to the general rule that over time, speakers of a given language will gravitate toward the easiest or most effortless pronunciation of a word, even if it means slurring the original pronunciation. This explains the tendency of some speakers of modern English to drop the G from verbs ending in ing. This turns words like running and hiding into runnin' and hidin'. Common contractions such as can't and don't came into usage in the same way. This insight not only explains why the W in two is silent, but it also explains why the W found in its derivatives is still pronounced. Words such as 12, 20, and twice made it through the great vowel shift without their pronunciations becoming any more difficult. However, what this doesn't exactly explain is why the W has been retained in the spelling of a word that underwent a sound change so long ago. The most natural assumption here is that the W was retained in order to distinguish the spelling of the number 2 from its homophones to the preposition and to the adjective, but this isn't the case. Rather, its preservation is a byproduct of the invention of the printing press. The printing press was brought to England in the late 15th century by a man named William Caxton. During Caxton's lifetime, English spelling had not yet been standardized. In fact, there were five significantly different regional dialects of the language spoken throughout the country. Though these dialects shared a lot of core vocabulary, the pronunciation of particular words could vary from region to region, hence the variations tuo and twa mentioned earlier. In this era of pre-standardized spelling, words were spelled phonetically. But since there could be up to five different spellings for a single word, 
This meant that someone from, say, the southwest of England might have trouble reading a document written in northern England. So, when William Caxton began printing books in large quantities, he chose to print them in the Westminster dialect because that's where his business was located. Over the years, as more and more of Caxton's books were disseminated across the country, the spelling of English words began to homogenize. However, the pronunciation of English was still in a phase of massive evolution during and after Caxton's lifetime. The great vowel shift hadn't fully set in yet, but since a quasi-standardized form of printed English had already been established, many archaic spellings were preserved in spite of newly emerging pronunciations. This accounts for the innumerable unphonetic oddities of modern English spelling. Anytime we read, write, or say the number two, we're dealing with a historical linguistic relic. All right, that's it for this one, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. But wait, there's more. Tomorrow, I'll be posting a follow-up to today's episode on Patreon. Originally, I was going to start posting Patreon episodes after we hit the $100 fundraising mark, but you know what? It's the holiday season, I'm feeling generous, so I'm just going to throw it up there. The Patreon episode looks at the grammatical, that's right, grammatical, implications of the pre-English Proto-Indo-European origins of two. Earlier when I said the ultimate origins of the word two go way further back, this is what I was talking about. If that sounds intriguing, all you have to do is donate as little as one dollar to the Words for Granted Patreon account. You can go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted, or just follow the Patreon link at wordsforgranted.com. It may not seem like much, but if everyone listening to the show donated literally a dollar, it would really, really add up and help keep the show alive. And now for the regular spiel. Don't forget to follow Words for Granted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I've been doing short etymology of the day posts on social media, so be sure to check them out. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, tell them about it. And if you yourself enjoy the show, please leave a positive review on iTunes. Okay, see you next time here at Words for Granted.